Thanks for joining us for another message from the City Church. We're a local church in Mississauga, Ontario, gathering in community as we move closer to Jesus. We hope this message from our special guest speaker encourages you wherever you're joining us from today. This morning, I am very excited. Uh, We have a guest with us, Mrs. Emma Richardson, or should I say Pastor Emma, because uh, she pastors Slate Church along with her husband Brandon and her sister-in-law Victoria and her brother Luke. It's a whole family. We're all about family in ministry. It's amazing. And she is here today with a word for us. But I just wanted to also say the reason we had Emma, she is a minister of the gospel. She is also a registered psychotherapist. And I really want to emphasize this for a second. I believe sometimes in the church, uh, we kind of get in our heads thinking we don't need to see a counselor or we don't need to talk things through with the professional. Bah! I don't believe in that. I don't think that that's healthy. I think what's healthy is talking through some things if you need to with a professional. And Pastor Brent and I will tell you or people we've met with, listen, we are always available to give you godly counsel. All right, but Emma has the education and the experience to help you systematically work through life's issues, and it's a good thing. All right, so uh, we have her information here up on the screen. If you have any questions, feel free to come find me or talk to our team, give the church a call, and you can please, please, we highly recommend her avail yourself to her services. But she has a word for us today. Please, please lean in. It was so good first service, and I know she has something special for you. Help me in joining Emma Richardson. I want to be her when I grow up, no joke. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Nicole. Listen, turn to the person you're sitting beside, say, it's good to see you. Turn to your second choice, say, it's good to see you too. You know, I am so excited to be here this morning. I'm so glad to be with you. Uh, As Nicole said, my name is Emma Richardson. But listen, before I let you know a little bit about who I am, I just want to, first of all, give honor where honor is due. And I hope that you know that you have absolutely phenomenal pastors in your house. Do you know that's true? Man, Pastor Brent and Nicole, they have poured so much into uh, myself, our church, uh, our leadership. They have set an incredible example for us, just have really welcomed us with open arms, and we love them so much, and we know how much they love all of you, and the the amount that they pour into you, and that they talk about all of you, and they are just so excited for what they're building here. But listen... These guys are amazing. Never take that for granted. Never take them for granted. When you see them, thank them, honor them, because these two individuals are just continuing on an incredible legacy with the City Church, and that's an amazing thing to see here in this house, but they're also pouring out to churches all over the place and leaders all over the place, and we love them so much for it. So could we just put our hands together one more time for Brent and Nicole? So thankful for them. Well, listen, as, as Nicole said, my name is Emma Richardson. I'm one of the pastors at Slate Church in Waterloo, Ontario, alongside my uh, incredible husband, Brandon Richardson, and we get to pastor with Luke and Victoria Betger. And Luke was here uh, a few months ago, a little while ago, uh, so some of you might remember him a little bit. 
but we love what's happening really across this province. Waterloo, it's, it's amazing. It's a thriving city. And uh, we have just seen incredible growth in the two and a half years that we have been a church there. So it's really cool to see what God is doing and how God is on the move. Uh, so I'm a pastor. I'm also a mom. You can throw that picture up of my sweet little family. There they are. That's uh, Kensington holding the apple. She just stole that and was eating it. I don't even know where she got that from. That's Kenzie right there. She's three years old. She is uh, feisty. She is turning four soon, and she is going to school in the fall. So please pray for me because I'm going to be a mess when she leaves. Uh, I mean, it's not like we're sending her to boarding school. Like, she's literally going to JK for six hours a day, but it's still going to be hard. And then we have Theo, our little man. He is two. He is Brandon's mini-me. He is, uh, his personality is the same. His looks are the same. He's just so sweet. When you ask him how he's doing, he doesn't say good. He says great. And I think that that just encompasses what this little boy is like. And then over in the car seat, uh, off to the side there, that is Claire Bear. She is our 10-month-old baby. Our other two kids literally think her middle name is Bear because we call her Claire Bear all the time. She's 10 months old. She's so great. She's wonderful. She's uh, trying to walk now. She's really on the go. She wants to catch up with her siblings. So we get to raise these kids and love these kids, and it's, it's a lot of fun. We had three kids in, uh, like, three years, so I was pretty much chronically pregnant for the past uh, for the past three and a half, four years. So it's good to be here with no baby inside of me. So here we are. Amen. Amen. But listen, I, I do this. And then as Nicole and uh, also, also said, I'm also a therapist. So a uh, few different hats, but I love what I get to do. I love the life that God has given me to lead in. And I am really excited to be right here with you today at the end of your Real Relationships series. Nicole was telling me a bit about it. It just sounds so great. Talking about marriage, talking about parenting, making sure that we have real relationships. And I want to kind of cap this off talking about uh, authentic deep, healthy relationships and what it takes to actually get there with the people around us. Does that sound okay? Awesome. Awesome. Well, listen, if you have your Bible, why don't you open it up to Matthew chapter 22. And this is a fairly familiar passage, but I think that it is so necessary to really revisit and get a grip on what Jesus is talking about in this passage if we are going to have healthy relationships in our lives. Starting in verse 34, you can follow along on the screen behind me. It says this, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Flipping over quickly to Romans chapter 8 verse 10, it says, love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God's law. Can we pray this morning? Jesus, I thank you that we get to be here, that we get to worship you, that we get to come into your house and lean into your word, Lord. I just pray you would speak through me in a a mighty way this morning and that we would hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, the other day I was at home uh, with with the kids and, and my 10-month-old, as I said, is on the move. She crawls everywhere. She goes everywhere. She's a go-getter. But I brought her into my room as I was folding something up on the bed. 
and I put her in the middle of the bed. And I, I'm aware that if I leave her there, she will fall off the bed. She has not fallen off the bed yet, but I know that the potential is pretty high. So I was standing right beside the bed. She was playing with the pillow on there. And, and all of a sudden, she kind of reached off to the side. She got a little bit close to the edge. So I kind of lunged across the bed to grab onto her to make sure she didn't fall. And all of a sudden, I hear this crack in the bed frame. I'm like, what just happened? I go and I look at the end of the bed. The whole back of the bed frame is cracked. I was like, I know that I was on vacation a couple weeks ago, but I did not eat that many chocolate croissants first thing in the morning each day. I mean, I ate a lot, but I didn't eat that many that I would break a bed frame just by, just by lying across it for a moment. But it is cracked. It is broken at the end. I was like, I, I'm not dealing with this right now. And I walked out of the room. When my husband got home, I said, honey, the, the bed frame is broken. I don't know what to do with it. We went in. We took a look. He's like, let's just take it apart. We'll deal with it later. We'll put it in the garage. So we did that. We put the mattress on the floor. Well, the next day, I, was, I, I woke up and I was like, you know what? Maybe this was actually a divine intervention that we need to upgrade to a king-size bed. So I started, I was like, the Holy Spirit has spoken. I need to just start researching king-size beds. So I started looking at mattresses, started looking at bed for, I was like, we're getting a whole new bedroom set, like time to redecorate. Uh, thank you, Jesus. But I was looking up all of these things. I was making a list. I sent these to my husband. I was just texting. I was like, here's a list. Here's Here's the price list. This is what it's going to cost us. This is what it's going to look like. And then I thought about it for a bit, and I'm like, maybe that's not the case. Maybe that's not the wise decision. So then I'm looking up new queen bed frames and, and uh, uh, you know, sets and all of these things, sending those off to him. And he calls me. He's like, hey, babe, this is great. Thank you for the detailed list and, and all of the options that we have here. I appreciate that. But listen, I was thinking about it as well, and I think that I could probably just fix the bed frame. Now, I don't know, married uh, people in this place, I don't know about, about your spouses. Brandon is fairly handy. He can, he can do a couple things around the house. It's good. But how many of us know that life is busy and the time does not magically appear to fix a bed frame? And I'm like, when is, okay, when is this going to get done? And listen, it hasn't been done quite yet, but that's okay. We're still, we're still waiting on it. But I was, I was thinking about this bed frame breaking when I was thinking about relationships this week. And listen, some of us find ourselves in relationships where something has happened, something has taken place, maybe a bit unexpectedly, and there's been a bit of a, cr a, a crack in the foundation, in the structure, the supporting structure of the relationship. And I find that some of us take one of two approaches when that happens to us. We either find ourselves all of a sudden looking to find fulfillment and structure and support in all different sorts of things. We just need to find new friends. We just need to find a new church. We just need to maybe, uh, you know, just flirt with someone at work a little bit to get some fulfillment and affirmation that my spouse isn't giving me. We're just going to look elsewhere, see what our options are, count the cost, and go in that direction. Some of us head that way. For others of us, we see that there's a crack in the foundation. We just kind of take it apart. We set the mattress on the floor and we just settle for this kind of mediocre relationship in our life that doesn't have support around it, doesn't have structure. It's just like a, a mattress lying on the floor. It doesn't look too good, but I guess it's good enough. And you see, I think if we're going to have healthy relationships in this place across all spheres of our life, we actually need to start being willing and able to fix the frame. We need to fix the relationships that we have. We need to get the tools in our toolbox that we can actually do the work 
to repair the crack, repair the structure, and make sure we're healthy moving forward. Does that make sense, church? Does that sound okay? This idea of healthy relationships. So, you know, relationships are important. They're not just something that that we just come by and take for granted and all of these things. They are so important that really everything hangs off of them. Whether you're in a marriage, you have friendships, maybe you work somewhere, maybe you come to church. We have relationships in all areas of life. We all are in relationship with someone. And we are made for relationships. In Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. We see that God himself is in relationship. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Let us make mankind. There's relationship right from the very start. And then we see it go on in Genesis 2.18. The Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. After saying time and time, everything is so good that he has created. But then he realizes that there's a problem. And it is not good for man to be alone. And he brings in relationship. He brings in Eve. It is at the crux of our humanity, relationships. But some of us just struggle through these relationships and they become mediocre and they become unintentional or we just keep repeating the, the same proble- problematic uh, system where we just go and find new relationships and maybe this one will be better and we, we bring ourselves into all of those so they get messed up all over again. And we, re- we fail to recognize that relationships need to have the focus. They need work to be done. You know, when the Pharisee comes to Jesus to test him, to ask this question, to hopefully plot people against him, we see his response. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything in scripture hangs on relationships. It hangs on our love for God, our love for others, and our love for ourselves. So if we're actually going to have success in our relationships, we need to get this order right, and we need to actually develop this love in our lives. And the first thing we need to do is love God. This is the most important commandment. Everything else comes from this. When we have a deep revelation of who God is, of what he has done for us, we actually can start to to love others and love ourselves properly. We have to get the order right. There's an order to this. But what does it look like to love God? We need to spend time with him. We actually need to develop and cultivate this relationship. It's not about just doing works and and making it that God would love us if we just do enough, if we just serve enough, if we just say enough, if we just are enough, well, then God will love us. That's not how it works. God loves you for who you are, all of your mess, all of your brokenness. He loves you. He accepts you as you are. But we still have the choice to be able to make some effort and have some discipline in our lives in order to cultivate this relationship with God. We need to worship him. We need to choose to trust him. We need to read his word, pray to him. We need to actually come to church on a regular basis, get with the family of God. We need to tithe, put our money where our mouth is, actually be invested in the relationship. All our heart, all of our emotions, all of our soul, our full being, all of our mind, all of our intellect, God wants all of it. He wants us to love him from every angle. But then he talks about this idea of loving others as you love yourself. But for so many of us, we don't actually know what it looks like to love ourselves. If we're going to love others well, we actually have to get a grip on what it looks like to love 
ourselves in the right way. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are created by God, and yet for some of us, we have become critical of his handiwork. Some of us look at ourselves and we think that we resemble a lot more like uh, the Play-Doh clay that my daughter Kenzie plays with all the time, mushes together all of the colors. It drives me crazy. All the colors together makes this thing. I don't even know what it is and says, look, mom, can't you see what it is? And we all know that that's not really a masterpiece. And yet for some of us, that's how we see ourselves, just kind of molded together, kind of whatever, not that significant, not a masterpiece, not God's handiwork at all, just kind of a pile of Play-Doh. When in reality, you are an incredible piece of art. You are the Sistine Chapel. You are the Mona Lisa. You are the Ferrari of people. God, I know you're at work here, but if you could have just changed this if you just work this out differently, if my personality just wasn't what it is, if, if my looks just weren't what they were, it would be a lot better. We lack a love for ourselves that is healthy, and we can see this by how we treat ourselves. You know, so many of us have negative self-talk, have negative thoughts about ourselves that plague us all the time. And the problem is that we think we're the only ones who think that way. Yet so many of us are trapped in this world of comparison, this world that everybody else has it right, that everybody else is good, that everybody else's life is under control except for mine. Why can't I seem to figure this out? We can never meet our own expectations, and we just pull ourselves apart at every angle. Maybe you're frustrated with where you're at in life. You thought you would be further along. You thought things would look different. You thought you'd be married. You thought you'd have kids. You thought you'd have this job. You thought you'd have this education. You thought things would be different, and you're so hard on yourself in the midst of it. Maybe it's actually just putting yourself last on the list of many things that you have to do. You are the sacrifice that you make for your family, and you kind of think that's a good thing. That's not loving yourself. It's not loving your family either. If you're always putting yourself bottom of the list and you are, just, uh, you are just reaching to get any kind of fulfillment, any kind of satisfaction to be healthy and whole. You see, self-care is not self-indulgence. It's self-respect. We actually have to take care of ourselves if we're going to love other people well. It's not becoming egotistic. That's only going to create this kind of strange, codependent love with other people that doesn't really work well. It's also not becoming so insecure where we have this shallow love that we can't actually get deep with anyone because we are so afraid to be vulnerable. We have to find our identity in Christ. And this is so key because Jesus says, you need to love others as you love yourself. Good luck loving others in a healthy, sustainable way if you don't love yourself. If we're not careful, we can hurt the other people around us. We can bleed all over people. We actually have to do the work to bandage the wounds, get the help we need, take the time. It's not self-indulgence. It's okay to ask for help in this place. You are more than welcome to do that. But then we need to love others. And this is kind of where I want to camp out for a few minutes this morning when we're talking about real relationships. What does it look like to love others? Some of us maybe in this place feel like we have a strong love for God or we kind of have a a good love for ourselves. But then when it comes to the relationships around us and the people around us, it all kind of looks like a mess. Maybe you find yourself fighting with your spouse or uh, have a strained relationship with your kids or uh, at, at your workplace, you're caught up in workplace gossip or you come to church and you just feel like, oh, I'm not sure if I connect or you feel argumentative or all of these different things can start to happen. 
can be easy to wonder, what am I missing? I love God. I do love myself. Why can't I seem to love others well? Am I the problem in all of this? You see, I believe that if we're going to have uh, real relationships, healthy relationships in this place, that we need to actually be clear about a few things when we go into them. The first thing we need to be clear on is we need to have clear expectations. You know, in Genesis 29, there's this story of this man named Jacob, and he's just stolen his brother's birthright, and he's taken off. And he goes to a different land, and he meets, uh, he meets this man named Laban. And he has daughters, and, and he, he meets the daughters, and he sees them, and he sees Leah, and, and she, she's nice enough, but then he sees Rachel. And he sees Rachel, all right? He likes what he sees when he sees Rachel. He, she's, she's got a nice body. She's got nice eyes. He's like, I like her. I want to marry her. This is, this is the person that I want to be married to in my life. So he gets a job, which is a good thing to do. Listen, good to work. Uh, get a job, looking for a relationship. Maybe start with getting a job. Get a job. He got a job for working for Laban. And Laban says, how do you want payment? What do you want this to look like? And in, in an act of defiant romance, he says, I will work for seven years if I could just have Rachel as my wife. It's just so romantic, so incredible that he would say seven, you know, seven years I will work. For some of us, we're like seven months and I should be engaged by that point. Like he's, he's willing to actually take the sacrifice of seven years and, and seven years comes up and he gets married and he wakes up the next morning after his wedding night. And listen, I don't know how all of this works. I'm not exactly sure how this happened, but he wakes up and he sees that it is Leah beside him, not Rachel. Now, Leah was the older sister. She, she was the one that should have been married first. And, and Laban said, if you work another seven years, I'll, I'll, I'll let you have Rachel as your wife as well. Things were different back then. <laughs> this was not what he expected. You know, expectations can be messy in any relationship. Jacob didn't expect Leah to be in there, there in the morning. Leah didn't expect to find herself in a loveless marriage. Rachel didn't expect to not be able to have children. Leah and Rachel together didn't expect to be at odds with one another, full of jealousy and anger, competition. And although many of us don't find ourselves in that particular situation, all of us can find ourselves in relationships with misplaced expectations. We bring expectations into our relationships, no matter what those relationships are. They come from our family of origin. They come from other relationships that we found ourselves in. They come from the expectations we see society putting on relationships, and that's what we take on ourselves. The other relationships that we see in our lives, we have all of these expectations. And so often we expect that people will just know what those expectations are. But I want to let you know that no one can read your mind. Your spouse can't read your mind. Your friend can't read your mind. Your kids can't read your mind. We actually have to bring clarity to our expectations and be willing to share those with other people. Oh, but they should. They should know by now. I've dropped enough hints. I feel like I've made this so clear. I've, what do I have to do? Do I have to spell it out to them? Yes. Yes, you do. Because no one can read your mind. We need to have clarity with expectations. But it's also important to recognize, church, that our expectations can't be so high and so grand that we're expecting the people in our lives around us to be our savior. We can't expect that our spouse is going to fulfill everything for us. 
that our kids are all of a sudden going to fulfill everything for us, that our friends, that our church, that our pastors are going to fulfill everything we need in our lives. That's just way too high of expectations. They are not your savior. Jesus is your savior. Leah didn't just need a happy marriage. She needed a savior. And listen, if you find yourself in a place where maybe you voiced your expectations, maybe they're not being met and you're just going, I don't know what this is going to look like going forward and all of these things, know that God sees you, that you can lean on him, that you can look to him, that he is your savior. God saw Leah and he had favor on her and he gave her children and, and, and that was incredible during this time and And it's incredible when we look into the New Testament and we see that Jesus' line, his lineage actually traces right back to Leah. So even in the midst of her situation, where maybe the things were not turning out the way that she expected, it's incredible what God was doing and how he was at work. I hope that that encourages you this morning, that we need to look to God as our Savior, not the people around us, because he is good and he is at work. The second thing we need to have is clear communication. Does anyone avoid confrontation in this place? You don't like it. You avoid it. Those are the same people that avoid putting their hands up, okay, in church. Avoid confrontation. You don't like conflict. Some of us are so afraid of confrontation and conflict, and we just avoid it. We just avoid all of it in our relationships. On the other hand, some of us love confrontation. We love conflict. We're argumentative people, and we're on this other side, and we're just ready We're ready to snap at people. We're ready to have that conversation. We're ready to bring that to the forefront. We're ready to do it loud. We're ready to do it proud. And there's these kind of different ends of the spectrum, and neither are really that healthy when it comes to having clear communication in our relationships. We have to be careful not to become avoided and allow things to fester and be bitter. We also have to be careful that we're not so harsh with the people around us that we start to become critical and overbearing. We need to communicate well. We need to communicate clearly. You know, it's more than just talking. We communicate with our entire bodies. In 1992, there was a researcher who who has now become quite a famous uh, psychologist, a famous researcher surrounding relationships. And he did a study on uh, newly married couples. And he had them talk to one another about an argument that they had been having, a point of tension in their relationship. He just had them talk to one another about it. And he studied this and he, he looked through this. He researched it. And just by watching them talk, He was able with 94% accuracy to predict divorce, which couples would end up ending in divorce. This was uh, Dr. John Gottman. And since then, he has continued to look at relationships and communication and, and, and what that looks like. And he talks about these four horsemen of the apocalypse. This is what he calls them. And these are four things that if they infiltrate your communication in the relationships around you, whether it's your spouse or other people... It's going to erode and create emotional disengagement in your relationship. It's going to cause huge problems for you. And I want to talk about them very briefly. But listen, this is not the part of the service where you bring your elbows out, okay? Your spouse does not need an elbow in the ribs right now when I start to talk. But this is a self-reflective piece of the sermon, all right? So we're going to put those elbows away. We're going to think of ourselves here. The four horsemen, defensiveness is the first one. It's so easy to get defensive. I know I wrestle with this. I have every good reason in the book why I made that decision. Thank you very much. I know that I did the right thing. I get a little bit defensive. It's easy to do. Another one is contempt, where all of a sudden you feel superior to the person next to you, the person that you're talking to. You feel like, what is this person talking about? Are they crazy? Like, what what are they thinking? It's the eye rolling. It's the, okay, yep, whatever you say. 
It's the nitpicking of, of uh, errors in speech and sentence structure. It's, it's just this feeling of superiority, this contempt. Then there's criticism. We become critical. Well, you're just so lazy. Well, if you would just show up on time. We become so critical of the people around us. And then there's stonewalling. And this is where you become so overwhelmed and so flooded by the information coming in and the argument maybe is too heated or, or whatever's happening and we just put up a stone wall. Maybe if I don't say anything at all, they'll just stop talking. Maybe they'll stop being so aggressive. Maybe they'll go away and that will be better. Anything I would say is just going to make this worse. A lot of men tend to stonewall. But we see this in scripture too. Criticism, Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. Defensiveness, Proverbs 17.27, the one who has knowledge uses words with restraint and whoever has understanding is even tempered. Proverbs 18.3 talks about contempt. When wickedness comes, so does contempt. With shame comes reproach. The words of the mouth are deep waters. But the fountain of wisdom is a rushing stream. We see David wrestling with stonewalling in Psalm 143.4. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. You see, conflict is going to come up in your relationships. Whether you, whether you talk about things openly or you try to avoid them like crazy. That's still a version of conflict. But we need to have proper communication, clear communication. We need to soften our startup. Start we need to repair the, the things that we're dealing with. We need to actually process with one another. We need to have clear communication if we're going to have healthy relationships. And then we need to be clear about what we're building. In the book of Nehemiah, uh, there's really the story of Nehemiah and the, the people coming back and rebuilding in Jerusalem after the exile has taken place. And people are excited to build and they're on board and they're ready to go and they start this building process of building the wall and, and it, it's a big deal to be building this. But then all of a sudden we see in chapter 4 verse 10, it says, then the people of Judah began to complain. The, worker, the workers are getting tired and there's much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to rebuild the wall by ourselves. You know, uh, my, my three-year-old Kenzie was playing the other day with, with puzzles and, and toys. And literally every single day, our house looks like a war zone. Like it is absolutely insane by the end of the day, the amount of toys that are out. And I was like, honey, can you come help me clean this up? We got to tidy up. Time to clean up the house. And and she came down for about 30 seconds, and she was putting some puzzle pieces away. And, she, and then she kind of looks at me, and she goes, Mom, I'm, I'm tired. Like, I'm, I'm really tired of doing this. I, I think I'd rather just sit on the couch. I'm like, yeah, me too. I also would rather. But she's, she's like, I'm just kind of tired. I think I'm just going to relax for a minute. Why don't you keep going here? Why don't you keep putting those away? I'm just going to take a moment, just take a break, have a little drink. Maybe I'll come back in a few minutes. And I looked at her, and I was like, Man, every time I see my toddlers, I realize that most of us have not outgrown that stage in life. All of us are toddlers in some capacity. Because I looked at her and I was like, man, isn't this just how we are so often as human beings? That we are so quick to complain. And complain about the things that brought us joy. Complain about the things that we prayed for. Complain about the things that we hoped for. Once we receive them, it's so easy to complain about them. So many of us in this place have prayed for the spouse that now we complain about. We prayed for the kids that now drive us nuts. We prayed for the friendships that now we try to avoid. We prayed for the church that now we're not willing to commit to. We prayed for pastors to speak into our lives, but we don't really like what they're saying. We prayed about it, 
We asked for it. We got it. And now what we have and we're once excited about, we find ourselves complaining about. If some of us were to really get real with ourselves, we would find ourselves in this camp at least some of the time. It's easy to do. But you know, complaining leads to dissatisfaction in our hearts for the people in our lives. There's chronic complaining. And this is where, you know, you do this all the time. Everyone knows a chronic complainer. They're always negative. The glass is always half empty. It's sunny outside, but to them, it's cold outside. It's a great restaurant, but to them, the fries are a little soggy. They are the chronic complainers. They will see uh, the bad in absolutely everything. You just know who those people are. They are going to find something negative. But then you have complainers that are a little bit more under the radar. They can kind of cover it up a little bit. And these are the venters, all right, the people who just want to vent a little bit. Now, it's good to process things. It's good to talk about things. It's good to get things off your chest and actually make progress towards resolving those things. That's all fantastic. But you know that it's venting because you actually don't want to receive advice. You don't actually want to change anything. You don't actually want to do anything different. You just want to say it out loud. You just want to get it out there. Just get it off your chest. You just want to be negative. You just want to be mean. You just want to be down. You just want to vent. But you see, the more that we are negative, whether chronically or just venting to the people around us, the more that this actually rewires our brains to start to see through a lens of negativity, where everything becomes difficult, everything becomes a problem, everything, every driver is terrible on the roads, every day it's a little bit dark, every day it's to this, it's to that, and everything gets start, starts to be seen through this negative lens. We have to be careful and guard ourselves against this complaining and venting that's too much and it's too hard and start to replace it with gratitude of what God has given us, what we actually have, the relationships that are in our lives, not always focusing on what we don't have. In Nehemiah chapter 3, we have a long list of people who actually chose to build. They built the sheep gate and the fish gate and the old city gate, the broad wall, the valley gate, the dung gate. I would not want to be in that building project. The fountain gate, the horse gate, and the walls in between. They put in the hard work. Chapter 2, verse 17, come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. I think this is the call for some of us this morning. Come, let us know what we are building when it comes to relationships, when it comes to our, our marriages, when it comes to our kids, when it comes to our friends, when it comes to our church. Are we willing to put in the hard work of building people up, of pouring into people's lives? This takes intentionality. What are you building? I was getting a pita the other day. And uh, after church, and I was standing there, and I was waiting. It was a bit of a lineup. And I was just looking out the window, and in front of the window sat uh, a father and son. And this son was very chatty. He was probably about eight years old. He was talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. And the dad was just sitting there. And listen, I'm not judging him in this situation. I'm sure I've been there as well. But he was sitting there. He just had his phone out and just was scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And the kid was just talking and talking. And the dad was really kind of just ignoring him, like nodding every once in a while, just kind of ignoring him. And all of a sudden, I just watched as the kid just stopped talking. Mid-sentence, just stopped talking. Because he realized that he wasn't receiving anything in return. I think it's important, church, that we don't fall into this camp where we're just kind of complaining, where we're just kind of complacent, where we've lost the vision for what we are building. We need to be intentional with building healthy relationships. We need to be intentional about loving other people. 
Don't just wait till the opportunity seems so obvious. We will easily get distracted by other things in our lives. We need to put it in our calendar. We need to think about it. We need to think about the family that, that had the miscarriage last month that might ne- still need some support today. We need to think about the people that maybe we just need to reach out to. We need to be thinking about on our drive home from work, how could I love my spouse better tonight? Maybe send a text, hey, anything I could do for you today? just to make your life a little bit better. That could revolutionize marriages in this place just by thinking and being intentional about the relationships that we're in. What are we building? Let's build the walls together. Builders are slow to anger. They're kind and compassionate. They are full of forgiveness. They have vision and they know what they're building. Successful relationships take intentionality. They take a willingness to live sacrificially and clarity on what the relationship is. We all have choices whether we are going to build or whether we are going to tear down. Offense is a choice. Anger is a choice. Assuming is a choice. And avoiding is a choice. We have lots of choices that we like to put off as though we had no choice. But we need to take ownership in this place. That's how we're going to see healthy, strong relationships develop as a church. We need to choose to build. We need to have choose to have clear communication And we need to have clear expectations. Love God, love others as ourselves. We need to have clarity around these things if we're going to have success in our relationships, real relationships. Some of us are just trying to put all the pieces together while ignoring God and hating ourselves. Some of us are so focused on God and loving Him, but we're completely neglecting the other. We're pushing off our kids. We're we're not uh, really putting in the effort at work. We're complaining about our pastors. We're not really being present at church. Some of us are so focused on ourselves that we don't even stop to help the person in need. Like the person dying on the side of the road and the church pastor walked by him, the church leader walked by him, and then it was the Samaritan that ended up stopping. We need to make sure that we are loving God and through that, loving others and loving ourselves. That's what it flows out of. Thank you for taking the time to listen in. Be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for other messages. For more content from The City Church or to connect with us, visit us at thecitychurch.ca or find us on Facebook or Instagram at citychurchgta. Thanks again for joining us.